Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkandstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth Rhythm Mothership R&B and Gospel Music Vocalist, Alton McLean Scarborough, best known for the trio, Alton McLean and Destiny. During 1978 to 1981, she recorded three albums with Destiny, including a top three R&B album and the top 10 hit, It Must Be Love. Mm. In the early 1980s, she married famed composer and producer Skip Scarborough, who had presided over what would be the group's final album. Moving into the 1990s and beyond, she turned to gospel on her subsequent releases. And late last year, she put out a wonderful version of Frankie Beverly's and Mays' classic, While I'm Alone. She is also involved with the Scarborough Foundation, which provides scholarships and grants to public school students gifted in the performing arts. Alton, how are you? Thank you for joining the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm doing well. Well, doing good. Well. Good. You're Enjoying. looking good. You're well lit there, you know. And, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. This is my little uh, lounge space, my upstairs lounge space, I call it. <laughs> so I'm enjoying this lovely day. I want it to be outside. Um, the weather is perfect today, but it's a little bit windy. And I wasn't sure how that would um, work with recording. So you made the right choice. <laughs> well, good, good, yeah, yeah. So, so this is uh, home for you. Uh, in what city? This is I. Well, I live in Owings Mills, which is a suburb of Baltimore. So this is home for me. I'm actually from Maryland, so I'm back home. Um, Skip and I moved here. I can't believe it's been um, 35 years ago. We moved here from Los Angeles, so I moved home. But uh, he came to love this as home, so it's been good. Excellent. Well, you know, I recently had uh, Nathan Watts on the show, and I saw you on his credits, and I thought, you know what? I got to have Alton on, too. What's uh, yeah. going on here? So, uh, Yeah, wow. Yeah. It's a small world, right? <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> you know, when you do a program like this, I've done hundreds of them now, you realize that there is that six degrees of separation. So many musicians and producers and composers and, you know, here, there, it all connects in the dots. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we've uh, passed, cross paths somewhere in our lives, some point, you know, we've done something together. So it's really wonderful. It's been a wonderful journey, actually. And uh, being married to Skip Scarborough has been like an incredible journey. And yeah, uh, yeah his music is still going strong. Oh, no doubt about that. And mm -hmm. he's uh, one of the greatest composers we've ever had. That's and, true. Um, yeah, I can't wait to dip more into that. But first, you know, we need to know what drew you to singing music in the first place. Uh, <laughs> well, when I was a child, um, I basically, well, I could sing always. You know, I, I love to sing and I was always able to sing. And I wanted to, when I grew up, I said, when I grow up, I want to be a singing star. So <laughs> I kind of kept that in my head, although I uh, didn't pursue that right off. I worked at the post office for about five years and uh, until I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I just took a, took a chance and came out to California. I actually met wonderful lady before I came to California, Vonnie Sweeney, who became my manager. And then the whole journey to Alton McLean and Destiny started with her. So. Who were some of your favorite artists and inspirations coming up? <laughs> well, my, my favorite artist was Aretha Franklin, of course, like everybody else. Um, however, um, my voice was compared to Diana Ross. So I guess you could say it was Diana Ross trying to sing like Aretha Franklin. Then you get Alton. <laughs> that would be me trying to sing like Aretha. And she was she was just so incredible and such a wonderful influence on a young artist like myself. And Diana Ross was just, you know, fabulous and gorgeous. And so... And I also like Doris Day. Hmm. I know, because I used to love musicals. And Doris Day was one of my favorite singers. So she was pretty and she could act and she sang so beautifully. And, you know, I have some some of that influences there, I think. That's an interesting blend for sure. Uh -huh. um, do you remember the first uh, concert you saw that really left an impression on you? Ah. Uh. My very first concert that I went to uh, was James Brown. Mm. I did get to go to my high school prom because um, my my boyfriend, who was my fiance at the time, was in um, basic training in the Marines. So I, um, my dad bought me tickets to see James Brown at the the Civic Center, which is. Now, I don't even know the name of the venue now in Baltimore, but then it was the Civic Center, and I was just so impressed <laughs> by the whole concert, the whole performance, and the music, and him dancing. I was just like, wow, I want to do that. And the other influence I had was Lola Falana. Do you, are you recognize that name? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I grew up watching her on TV all the time. Yes, on the Mike Douglas show. <laughs> 
And I said, oh, I would love to do that. And one of my, one of the things I used to say when I watched the Mike Douglas show is one day I'm going to sing out one of those, because he had these beautiful microphones. One day I'm going to sing out of one of those microphones. And sure enough, that happened. And when it did, I kind of freaked out for a moment because it was like, you know, my saying it, my wish was coming true at that precise moment. And I just, I just freaked for just a second. And then, you know, it's really cool. So those are my influences. A lot of people believe, you know, if you visualize it, it'll come to be. So, yeah. 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 Um, that was that was my, uh, I, I would say it all the time. You know, one day I'm going to sing out of one of those beautiful microphones. I mean, he we didn't get to sit down with Mike Douglas, but we did get to sing <laughs> on his show. So that was something. So, yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, now, I saw that you had an early single that Bernard Purdy had a hand in. Oh, wow. Now, when I met Bernard Purdy, I, I like, well, of course, I didn't know exactly who he was. But I worked at the post office. It's my little story. Um, I worked at the post office. And this one particular <laughs> day, uh, one of the city clerks, as they were called, they would file Baltimore City Mail. I was a Maryland clerk. So we had run out of Maryland Mail and, this, and we were helping the city clerks and I was singing. And the guy I sat next to said, wow, you sound really good. He said, I, um, I'm a songwriter. I used to manage this group called the Tan Beatles. And I, you know, I'm like the Tan Beatles. Okay. Um, he says, me and my partner, we have this uh, dress shop, but I really want to get into music. And um, I've written some songs. And would you come and like do a demo of one of my songs? And I was like, sure. And we met Kitty Brody, who I don't know if you're familiar with her, her name. She was a, uh, a uh, big DJ here in uh, in Maryland at the time. And it was through our connection with Kitty Brody that we were able to um, go up to New York and meet with Bernard Purdy. It was Bernard Purdy and Richard T. And the bass player's name. Oh my gosh, it escapes me right now. But... They were wonderful musicians, and we did this demo of the song Come Back Baby, which Frank uh, Frank Barnes had written, and Floyd Barnes had written, and that was the beginning. We actually pressed the first single ourselves in the back of his dress shop because he had like a printing press. So we, we pressed the labels. We didn't press the single, but the labels for the single. So, you know, so I had hands on <laughs> throughout that whole process. And then Comeback Baby, you know, got on the radio and I was able to uh, do a lot with that. And that was my start. So shortly thereafter, I left the post office. So how did and, you feel when you first heard yourself on the radio? <sighs> that was really, um, that was exciting. And well, it's exciting to hear myself on the radio even now. You know, I just go, wow, <laughs> that's me. So it was fun. It was really fun to um, hear myself on the radio. And then, of course, to do, we did a couple little shows here in, in Maryland. And 
Uh, then um, I came out to California, met Vonnie Sweeney, came out there, and the rest is, you know, the well, rest you know. <laughs> well, how, how did you uh, actually connect with Frank Frank Wilson, who had produced your records? Well, we went to, um, I met Frank Wilson in church, actually. Um, I went to his church. It was... Uh, mm -hmm. Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church. Um, I came there and uh, at the time, I'm just trying to think exactly how we connected. I went to a concert that he had put together. It was with um, Billy Preston and uh, I think Frida Payne was a part of it. And there was this gospel group called Spirit and it was just a really wonderful concert. And that's uh, through Vani and a friend of Vani's. We connected with Frank Wilson. And at the same time, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, he was looking for a girl group, you know, looking to start a girl group. And of course, I think with my uh, similar sound to Diana Ross, it probably, you know, kind of piqued his interest. And that's how we connected. And so were, were the other two uh, girls already uh, picked or did they get picked after you or how did that work? Uh, they got picked after me. So so we were really a put together group. And um, we actually rehearsed for about six months before we went into the studio, just rehearsed uh, the songs and singing together. And, you know, um, then we went to the, the studio and recorded the first album. It must be love. And after um before the song came out, we we actually went to a it was like a um, it was a music conference and Millie Jackson was also on the same label that we were on. And we got to meet her and we got to go out on tour with her, which was really good for us because we hadn't we didn't and I wasn't <laughs> I hadn't done a tour. You know, I hadn't done anything like that. So it was fun for the three of us to just experience being on on tour with an experienced singer. And she was she was so incredible. I learned a lot from just watching her. So that worked out. And then, mm -hmm. of course, It Must Be Love came out and it was like, OK, now we have to get ourselves together, <laughs> you know, to to do some tours and shows and TV appearances. And so we had to get our choreography together and we got costumes and it was just, it was a whole lot at once, but all very exciting. Was that the first single? Yes, it was. Okay. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I just got to mention some of the players in the album because you guys had some heavy hitters in there uh, besides, you know, Frank Wilson producing right. uh, Greg, Greg Fillingains, uh, yes. Paul Jackson, Lee Ridenour, Walla Watson, um, yeah. Ollie Brown, James Gatson, <laughs> uh, and Nathan Watts, and uh, Alvin Taylor, who's also been on the show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That it was. It was wonderful to be, you know, to experience that, especially after really wishing for it and dreaming for it when I was here at home. I I remember when I got the recording contract, I called my mom and I said, "Guess what?" And she said. You got a record deal. I said, how'd you know I was supposed to tell you? You know, you supposed to go through all this whole thing about, uh, you know, guessing. And but she uh, she guessed right the first time. So it was really exciting. And, 
you know, recording, learning the songs and um, just being in the sessions. And it was it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I noticed also um, Angela Winbush wrote one of the tracks. So Angela, okay, she wrote, I learned to respect the power of love. She actually played it and sang it. And I was like, I was mesmerized because she (laughs) is an incredible vocalist herself and an incredible musician. And so when we recorded the song. I wanted to make sure that I, I, I did it as well as, as I could, almost like her. It was a hit song. Um, I, I think when we were on tour, we found out that uh, uh, the power of love was being played on the radio. Just you know, the the um, DJs were playing it just on their own, and it's a shame that it wasn't the second release you know, from the album. I think that it should have been, but because we were a disco group, they went with a disco song. (laughs) But The Power of Love was just uh, an amazing track. And I, you know, I I could feel it and I was singing it like I felt it and wow. And then of course, you know what happened because it's a hit song. So no matter who does a hit song, it's a hit song. Got the That's bones. All I'll say. Got all the bones. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, some thing. some of the other uh, highlights in there for me, I want to mention. Alton, our um, uh, push and pull was really funky. Yeah, yeah. And you know, ninety nine and a half. Oh, it's like that is a rock song. I, how am I supposed to sing that? <laughs> But actually, I, I I didn't do too bad on it. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. Like that took me a little bit out of my comfort zone, but it was okay. And then Sweet Temptation, um, yeah. I thought that could have been a single too, really. Yeah, that it's a nice story, isn't it? It's a really nice story. Um, I that album recording that album was just quite an experience because one of the songwriters, Judy Weeder, who wrote uh, "It Must Be Love," she gave me some tips and uh, about uh, enunciating that make sure that people could understand what I was saying. And uh, "Sweet Temptation," I was like telling the story because Terry McFadden, who wrote it, she and and John Footman, I think, wrote it. And she said, you have to tell the story, Alton. You know, the song has its beginning, its middle, and its end. So I I just learned so much on my first album from all these pros. You know, I just was like a sponge. I took it all in. So it was a great experience. What did they talk about in terms of, like, the vision for the group? I mean, because that hit, you know, had a little bit of that uh, emotions, best of my love, a little bit of Cheryl Lynn got to be real kind of flavor uh, that was happening around that time. <laughs> so what, what did they say? We want you guys to be what? Well, I, I, I think, I think we were maybe like the Supremes, maybe, <laughs> you know, because I did have that similar vocal quality as Diana Ross. So it's like the Supremes with a, 
I think we were, we were a little funkier than that, not quite LaBelle, but at the time, you know, just the music had, um, it was, the songs were so good and that I could really sing. You know, I, I don't know that we, we sat down and had a vision of this is where we're going to go. This is how, how we want to get there. We, it, it was just happening and we were going with the flow. Mm. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned, of course, several times, Dana Ross, um, not knowing that coming in to me, you know, I would, I, I conjured thoughts of people like Minnie Repertin and Denise Williams, you know, as, as some influences. So, no, I love Diana Ross. I, actually, my very first album was the Diana Ross and the Supremes Come See About Me. I still have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I really loved the way she sang. And uh, I loved her and 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 Aretha Franklin. They were my, um, my influences. And like I said, Doris Day. Did, did you ever meet any of them? Oh my gosh. I did meet Diana Ross. Um, it was, we were at a chic concert and um, I, I met her then, but Aretha Franklin, I met Skip knew that she was my favorite singer. And so he said, Alton, I, I got a surprise for you. And we rode out to the Valley and drove up to this house. And he said, you're going to love it. And he rang the doorbell and she opened the door and I, I almost fainted. And then he introduced us to Aretha because he produced, um, he produced some material on her as well. And uh, he said, Aretha, this is Alton McLean. And she said, Alton McLean from Alton McLean and Destiny. Girl, we jammed to it must be love for about three months around here. And I was just, I was done. <laughs> I mean, because it was my my idol, you know, knew who I was. It was amazing. That was that's my Aretha Franklin story. I I was just amazed that she knew who I was. That's but, fantastic. Yeah, it was really yes. fun. Yeah. Well, I can tell you too. Growing up in Los Angeles and glued to the radio all the time. I mean, that single was just played so much out there, and uh, you know, enjoyed it immensely. I was a DJ. Um, Right around then, through the 80s into the 90s, I was a, uh, a DJ, so, you know, played mm-hmm. it a lot and uh, appreciate help keeping the people dancing, you know. Oh, wow. I mean, we were not, uh, we weren't really prepared for that because um, we had been on tour with Millie Jackson. And I remember I came home in January of 79 because we went we were out with her in 78 we went to Africa and we went to France it was just fun and I came home to spend some time with my family and while I was here in Baltimore um there was one of the the radio stations uh well the song was released and because I was in town I did do a couple of um radio you know stops and then it just it blew up. And so we weren't really prepared for that because Millie was about to go out on tour and she wanted us to go with her as her background singers again. But then our, our our song was moving up the charts and we had to get it together. So it was an exciting time getting that together, doing the choreography, 
uh, getting fitted for costumes. And it was just like, wow, <laughs> you know, dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe uh, Frank? What was he like as a producer and just uh, to interact with? Frank, he was, um, he was fun. He was a lot of fun. Uh, he would just let me sing. He, he, he said, you know, Alton, just just let her sing. And I appreciated that. It was it was fun to work with him. He came, he would have such great ideas, um, especially like on the uh ad libs of songs, just his ideas that he would come up with, and then I would try to sing what he what he would sing to me. <laughs> it was really wonderful. He allowed me to be creative and uh I grew a lot in that. Um as a singer, but it was, it was really fun to, to work with him. Um, very, he just had a way of allowing you to be yourself pretty much, you know, and he just tap into that so that he could bring out that part of, of you that made you um, the vocalist that you were, you know? So I appreciated that. I wasn't trying to sing like anybody. Except I did, I did because I loved Aretha Franklin so much. I did have to stop listening to her. <laughs> so I wouldn't be trying to sing like her, you know. Uh, but uh the the music, the songs that he chose, they were so they were just great songs and great stories for me to um tell. So that was wonderful. And then to work with the actual writers, you know, and have them just um, help you tell the story. It's great. So now thinking about that, it's just, just a wonderful experience. I just was happy the entire time. I was tired because we, we stayed in the studio. Plus I was working on a, you know, a regular job. So I would go to work and then afterwards come to the studio and record. So on the second record, you know, how did you go into that? What was the mindset? I know Frank produced it again. And, uh, you know, were you looking to uh, repeat that success or just do something that felt good or what? Well, we were hoping to uh, repeat the success. Um, when I think about the songs, uh, so the second album is more of you, and um, my. It seems like my strength as a singer was in the ballads. Like you know, really, I I love the ballads. We had uh, one of my favorite ballads on the second album was. Um, uh, let me think about the songs on the second album. Well, thank heaven for you was one. Ballad. Yeah. Um, hang on there, baby. Was that was that was fun. Um, stairs and whispers. Yeah, that's on there. Yep. <sighs> that was my favorite song. I think <laughs> you could you could feel me. Um, I, I just felt that song and I really wish they had um instead of releasing the the uh I think the first single was um I don't want to be with nobody else. Right. Um yeah. I, I wish they had released Stairs and Whispers or um 
the song that uh, Skip and uh, Dee Marie wrote. Mm -hmm, I like you, heaven said. Um, that song is really, that was just a really great song. Um, and, and it was, oh, I think they released My Destiny. But I think that either Stairs and Whispers or the song that Skip and Dee Marie wrote should have been like the first release. But, you know, we didn't really have a lot of say in what was going to go out uh, at that point. We were just, um, uh, the Jones girls, I remember, had a had a big hit. So we had a song that sounded like the Jones girls, which I sang. Uh, it was a great song, but um, I, I, I think we, it would have been better had, had we gone in a direction that, it was more Alton McLean and Destiny than, you know, sounding like anybody else uh, at that time. And the other thing was, you know, the song Happiness that uh, Frankie Beverly wrote? Mm -hmm. he, he actually wrote it for us to do. Oh. And uh, there, there was so much red tape and so much money had been spent on the album and we didn't get to do that song. But he did write it for us. Oh, that would have been interesting. That's too um, bad. I know. That would have been just an incredible song to do. But we didn't get a chance to do that one. I did like the closer. Um, you bring to me more morning light. My morning light. You know, oh, you bring to me the morning light. I think that one had potential to mm -hmm. be a hit. Is you know, that sound. Um could have hit, but it didn't chart. It was a single, I see, but it didn't chart for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know. I have my my thoughts about, you know, actually what may have happened with that that project in terms of just communication between management and the record company, you know, and just the support that we needed. And then it was the end of of the disco era. And we weren't really I, I I didn't consider myself a disco singer. You know, it was just, I guess, that time, that time in the music scene. Um, and uh, we just kind of got lost, <laughs> lost in the lost in the sauce, as they say. Yeah, so, that was definitely a, a transitional time and challenging yeah. for a lot of, um, you know, R&B artists, especially because of the whole disco situation. And then. Right just a corporate corporatization if that's a word of the music industry right around then too and the music videos coming in it was just this huge turbulent time right and uh it was especially challenging i think for a lot of the r&b acts yeah um, right. so um the third record though was a huge change because mm -hmm. it brought in skip and uh <laughs> how did that come to be that he got involved well uh, Poly Polydor decided that they didn't want um, Frank Wilson to produce another album. So Frank uh, recommended Skip or Jerry Peters. And so we got to meet both of them. But Skip had written Don't Ask My Neighbors. And, you know, that's a girl group, the emotions. And, and we got to meet him and we got to listen to 
some of his songs were just, wow, they were wonderful. Plus, he made great tuna fish salad. (laughs) (laughs) So we went with Skip Scarborough, and he had uh, just wonderful songs. And and then he picked wonderful songs for us for that album. So, and songs that I could really sing, you know, really uh, um, just they had uh, great stories and I could sing it and really, you know, you could hear like um, we're kind of developed, we're, 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 uh, we were evolving at that moment. But then by that time, Polydor had gotten a little tired of <laughs> Alton McLean and Destiny. And so we found ourselves without a recording contract. Um I got I got to mention some highlights on that record though because you know it definitely was a huge change in the uh, vibe and the and the sound and the spirit mm-hmm. and there were many highlights to me on that record. Mm-hmm. Um, my destiny was a single, but beyond that, uh, making room for love, you know, to ah. me definitely had a don't ask my neighbors kind of flavor. Yeah, yeah, my friend. Um... Clay Drayton wrote that making room for love. And it's just, it's, it's just so smooth. <laughs> it was just a smooth song. And then um, the skip song uh, uh, of and love learn. Notes. Well, love notes. Uh, that was, uh, that was Denise, the song that he and Denise Williams had written, which was a fun song to do. Um and then Love and Learn, which was just a, a great ballad, you know, and I I loved singing that. I still remember being in the studio and, and singing that song and just, you know, putting all my heart into it. And uh, it was just wonderful music. We're, we're uh, going to make it was kind of a September-ish kind of track. Uh, that is the song that I think we probably should have, that should have been a single. Cause I mean, it just, it was just, it was hot. It was fun to sing. And Skip is actually singing on that too, on the backgrounds, which is kind of fun. So it was a fun track to do. Uh, And um, on Love and Learn, um, Patrice Russian did the, the, uh, the arrangements. It was so beautiful. <laughs> it was just beautiful. I was like, wow, you know, and being in the studio while she was conducting that session and the 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 uh, string section, it was just beautiful. Wonderful experience. Yeah, you had some of the great players from before that were on this, but also some newer ones. I'm not sure if Patrice was on other ones, but as you mentioned, she was here, but also mm-hmm. uh, Herbie Hancock makes an appearance. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Skip knew so many people. I mean, he was such a great producer, and it it was fun. Um, the song, um, it 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 was just fun to 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 watch him and to see the musicians react to him. And then when it was time for us to do our vocals, um, and some of the vocals, I actually. Um, Doing the rhythm section, I actually, you know, sang along with the, with the just the basic rhythm section while we were recording, and that was fun to do. And then I t- had to try to sing 
Especially if I did, well, if I did a really good take, they kind of kept it, you know? So it's, it was, I love doing that. What were uh, two or three ways that Skip's approach differed from Frank's? Mm. <laughs> uh, hmm, two or three ways is his, well, Skip, yeah, well, he wrote a lot of the songs. So we got to, of course, you know, work with him. And he did um, a lot of the the vocal arrangements because, you know, that's what he did. And it was just um, really fun. We we actually would go to his house. That's why I know he made the best tuna fish salad because he would fix that. And we would rehearse the songs and all with him. And he was, um, his, his approach was different. He was much, he was quieter, you know but powerful. <laughs> so it's just, I, I can't really explain the difference. I see them both in my mind's eye. Um, they both, the, the one thing that they let me do was sing. And I appreciated that, you know, wasn't a whole lot of uh, stop and uh, let's do it again or whatever. They would just let me sing. And then if, if I, usually I would do good, first and second takes after that you know it's kind of like okay <laughs> i don't think i'm gonna do it any better you know but and they were both good at in that respect did did the label let you get out and tour at all to support that one or just kind of fizzled after that it just kind of fizzled after that um yeah we didn't we didn't really i, I think the last thing we did was something we went to um we went to New York um, to just, uh, do a promo for the album, and and uh, Denise Williams' album was was really popular. We had the same management, so they kind of were. Uh, our manager was kind of pushing Denise Williams and the record company. We had spent a lot of money on Alton McLean and Destiny, and I think they were just you know at a point where. It wasn't working like they had anticipated. So we found ourselves without a record deal. Now, the other two girls went on to be in the group Crystal. But I wasn't a part of that. So can you explain in a nutshell kind of like what transpired then in terms of, you know, you splitting from them and, uh, you know, the relationship with Skip and uh, just, you know, what it seems well, like. In a nutshell, uh, Skip and I got married. <laughs> that that's what happened in '83. Uh, or what? Uh, we got married in '82. Yeah. So um, they, you know, the the group had broken up, and I was trying to maybe do something solo, and I actually did get signed to Curb Records. Um, as a solo artist. And that was fun because I I'm, I got to work with Steve Buckingham. I actually went down to, to uh, Nashville and recorded with Steve Buckingham uh, an album on Curb Records. And uh, there was one release um, from that album, It Turns Me Inside Out, that actually came out. But then that I got kind of caught up in, I think there was a a transition between uh, Curb and uh, Epic at the time. 
um, Epic became Columbia. And so I just, <laughs> I don't know. Just, I fell through the cracks there. But that well, was a fun album. Yeah, the Curb uh, songs. There's only um, a couple songs out, I think. I don't know if the record ever fully came out. but It did not, not the album. But yeah. I know It Turns Me Inside Out uh, was released. And I think um, there was another one. Yeah, we Can't Live on Love? Oh, We we Can Live on Love, yeah. Yeah. That, that song was written by uh, Steve Buckingham's wife at the time. I can't remember her name, but um, it was some great songs and great musicians as well uh, on that on that album. I enjoyed that. Yeah, uh, the the two songs I've heard sound very strong. Yeah, yeah. It turns me inside out. It was a great song, and uh, I remember there's a song um, "Don't Want to Let You Go," which I loved, and uh, "Hate the Lies but Love the Liar." They were just awesome songs, you know. That kind it sounded kind of country, <laughs> a country song, but great lyrics. So there's much more to this great truth and rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.